Testing. Testing. I just, 88, I, just, 14. I just hit the I just hit the music, but we'll just keep it in. Oh. Sorry, I know you can't hear the music right now, so everyone knows what the intro is like. Hello and welcome to another episode of the People's Square. I'm your host, Borzoy. With me as always is Eric Stryker. Take it away, Eric. Oh. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. So uh today I have a very special guest, uh supporter of the National Justice Party, a friend of mine. Who is a fantastic painter. Um, Borzoi, could you actually pull up his latest piece? Do you, do you know? Do you need me to send yeah. you? Uh, can I pull it off his telegram? Just give me a second. I'll get that all yeah. set up. Yes. Yeah. Just, just give me a second. I'll get that on the screen. <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, Aaron is one of the few uh, contemporary artists who is a white man that, if I recall correctly, isn't gay, right? Uh, <laughs> yes, last I oh, checked, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Um, so tell me, Aaron, wh what's it like to be the uh, the black sheep, basically? So first of all, you paint, <laughs> you paint, you, you paint the black sheep or the white man, actually. You paint figurative art. Um, which is already, well, relatively figurative, you know? I mean, I can tell what you're painting. I can I can see what you're doing. That's a problem to the establishment. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. Being able to actually express uh, a thought or a, a concept in, in art is a, is a problem. Because, you know, if, if you look at, I'm sure you know better than me, if you look at most living and celebrated painters and sculptors, uh, it's all crap. I mean, it might as well be. I mean, Jeff Koons. I mean, right. correct me if I'm wrong. He's trying to to make his sculptures look like animal balloons, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, basically, it, what he does is trying to uh, create uh, minimalist pop culture objects that he can, uh, you know, attach his ego to. I guess is what 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 it is. Well, what's it say about his ego when um, his art is composed of uh, copies of animal balloons? Um, well, it says he's a superficial person that uh, had a lot of wealthy uh, contacts uh, in the blue chip auction community, and uh, yeah. yeah. So, so tell me your experience as a as a starving artist in your life, uh, without giving too many details if you don't want to. But just uh, give me give me a glimpse into the world of painting. That that that's a very um, exclusive world now. Um, and I know you've been through the ringer. You've you've experienced life uh, as an artist uh, in um, various. Uh, fairly uh, prestigious parts of our community and stuff. So uh, explain to me, what's it like? Yeah, so basically uh, the key is to have something that subverts people's expectations. That's the, the very individualized expression with art that will get you in front of eyes that will care to the point to give you the the next platform to be viewed upon so 
what you want to do is uh, you want to do something close to what people are doing. Uh, and that'll get you out of being in the, in the starving boat. Cause yes, I've definitely been in that boat and uh, you know, there's many a stories, many a story about like, you know, surviving on pancakes or, or whatever for months yeah. at a time, stuff like that uh, while you're coming up. But you know, you see the, uh, the light at the end of the tunnel. And so you just, just keep on going for it. I mean, that, that's, that's just, you know, that's, that's how you, you gotta be with, with anything that you really strive to be, uh, you know, be competent at, you know, you, you gotta hustle. You gotta, you gotta go, you gotta eat dollar slices and sell. Yes. Let's go. Brandon t-shirts on the side. <laughs> you. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. Brandon yarmulkes on the side while you try to make it as an artist. Cause in America, um, patronage is all for the most part private, right? You need to get, a benefactor um it's well, hard to get public funds unless you're connected or very political in the anti-white sense right well yes uh somewhat it was uh easy before every for the you know the quickening the the polit- political happening of 2016 to yeah. not really have to be so political yes it was uh it was figurative and it was uh you know, modern. And, and so that, that in and of itself is a criticism of beauty. That's what it's meant to do. Yes, you're doing that. But, you know, if you look at it in, in the sense of just uh, experimenting with color and composition, you know, you, you can get kind of out of, out of the political way of such until 2016. And, and when, you know, gallery curators were coming to you and, and, and like basically, uh, say, hey, we're doing political show. Are, are you interested? And so right. now, yeah, <laughs> things get a little little strange. Nice, thanks, Borzoi. So yeah, I, I've um, you know I, I've seen art in a number of museums, and um, I've noticed in the last uh, two years, in fact, that they increasingly have really woke stuff, even in mm-hmm. um, conventional art museums. So, like, you'll walk into a, a, an exhibit, you know, featuring, you know, the, the pre-Raphaelites or whatever, and you'll see uh, literally a, a, a pile of trash in the middle of the museum. And it'll have this prompt next to it about how the pile of trash represents the uh, suffering of... of Black and indigenous <laughs> bodies of color, and and so on and so on. Um, what? Who who are who are the players behind this? Like who the hell? I mean, like actually name names if you can. Like the the top people, the top money, the top art critics right now. I haven't been following because sure. I, I just uh, you know I, I can't I can't handle more elevation of my blood pressure. I'm I'm already angry. So I can't really look into it. So why don't you just tell the audience a couple of names and people that are big out there? Uh, yeah, sure. So you got um, in, in a historical context, you got uh, a Clement Greenberg. You have Walter yes. Benjamin. These are the guys that <laughs> yeah. created the criticism to begin with. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, they were inspired. Yep. Yes, yes. He uh, he created the, uh, the concept of over-sentimentality, which basically meant Anything that had instinctual 
um, you know, instinctual aspects of belonging and hearth tied to tradition, family, and ultimately nation, obviously. Um, and so, of course, uh, Clement uh, Greenberg came up with yeah. kitsch. kitsch. Yes, kitsch. Yes. And kitsch is, is a very loaded word, uh, which it, it was aimed, I, I think it, it worked when it first came out, but then you get to people like Norman Rockwell, who just did not care about the labels in which people were were giving him and he and he just decided uh, or the the critics were just completely just up in arms about it just give throwing everything at the book i mean yeah he did a lot of uh you know paused and and um modern I- ideals about uh, you know civil rights and what have you sure but aesthetically i mean he, he's looking at the masters still and so mm-hmm. th- they just would not be able to clear that in, in their in their uh, in their trajectory, what they are trying to apply to modern art and and culture at large, right? Uh, what about now? Um, uh, yeah. I I know that like uh, you know you look at the um, Metropolitan Museum of Art's donor list, um, and it looks remarkably like the people that sit on the board of the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City, which houses the greatest art ever created by humanity in one place. Um, the, uh, the board of directors looks a lot like the, uh, the, are you uh, saying the Chinese communists? Is that your, yeah, it looks a lot. It looks a lot like <laughs> Jeffrey Epstein's flight records. <laughs> it's, it's mostly the same people. <laughs> it's often the same people. Okay. It's the guy, Leon black. And I believe if, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Wexner is on there. If I could be wrong oh, about sure. that, but Absolutely. I know like you got the guys from Blackstone and yes, philanthropy. That's a big yeah. point. So you bring what, up, yeah, go ahead. Go, well, uh, it's, it's interesting because you had the critics that were uh, dictating the art market at that point, but now it's very much dictated by the curator. The curator is the new art star. And, and you would run into that a lot in, in the business world, especially in, in Los Angeles or, or wherever you were, Miami. They, that is something that is very important. The curator is – he's like the ringmaster of the, uh, the, the freak show that is upon you. Right, yes. And, uh, and that's how you kind of venture into the realm of non-fungible tokens and stuff. Um, I've seen a lot of criticisms of it, but it, it, it's really no no more or less legitimate than uh, paying a shit ton of money for an Andy Warhol. That's my opinion. Uh, what do you? What's your opinion on NFTs? Oh, uh, NFTs. Yes, as an artist, <laughs> I like that it's uh, it's attached to personality. I like that uh, you're you're not paying for the art so much that you're paying for stone toss or. Right. You know that that's what I find is is very good. Uh, now, obviously, in in the uh, the mainstream sense, it's just nothing but garbage that is being uh, floated as laundering or you know handshakes between like wealthy uh, plutocratic you know people that are that are in, invested in in um, market speculation. Right. So um, I find though that. The concept of the NFT uh, versus the s- salon 
culture of art is not really that big of a jump that like people are making it out to be so. But, um, you know, the 19th century salon culture of of uh, buying and trading art like it's a, a capitalist commodity. Not that different, in my opinion, that is, this is just the modern version of that. Um, I disagree with all of it. But, um, you know, f- from an artistic point of view, it does seem like a, uh, a step down. Uh, basically, uh, the Netflix to the uh, AMC TV <laughs> shows, right? Like that, that, right. that I mean, that, that's a notable step down. And so that seems to be the trajectory of America uh, in all regards. But um, so tell me, like, uh, just a noteworthy or notable story from your experiences in the art world as a painter, maybe some kind of anecdote or something that might be interesting, particularly Uh, in regards to to race. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. well, I belong to this gallery and I I did a lot of really good work, uh, as in we we made a lot of money. Uh, I was able to, you know help them bring their gallery to a, a, a status position. And of course, you know, the owners are Jewish. And so, um, I noticed that every year I was being excluded from a a blue chip auction, uh, in Beverly Hills. And I was confused on why that was. And so, uh, another gallery owner that I was in constituency who was a goy, uh, or you know what I mean? He, we were yeah. we were good friends, and, and we did work together. We make we did great work together, and, and he was able to get me into that show. And I obviously I'm I'm, I'm being uh, <laughs> I'm being very overzealous at the show, and, and and making sure that the gallery owner sees me. Do, the gallery owner, the Jewish gallery owner, sees yes. me doing this. And so this this was a very very uh, this most prestigious show. I've ever been in. I showed with Banksy. I showed with uh, Shepard Fairey, um, Iron Eye Retina. These these are like wow. the biggest names. And yeah, I mean, if you name a, a contemporary modern artist, I've shown with them. Uh, mm-hmm. This was one of the shows. And uh, yeah, I, I could just tell just the seething, the seething and coping the entire time. It was a beautiful <laughs> moment. Did you did you actually <laughs> ever meet Banksy? I never met Banksy. No. He yeah. doesn't come to shows, unfortunately. Yeah, but uh, most can, overrated I mean, art ever. But uh, <laughs> I digress. Go ahead. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no. I mean, there's a lot of things like that. There's a lot of lot of aspects of the uh, the world that are they're very much um, you know wait and see how it goes down or or, or see who is uh, being floated as the next big thing and why you know when i first uh, started showing it was kind of apparent why the the people were getting floated but like i said that was before the the political aspect the people that were getting uh, pushed to the front were actually like talented artists that had something interesting to say you know and and it does happen uh, rarely. <laughs> and guess what? Yeah, yeah, they're all white. I mean, it's just, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, even here, in the modern art scene, yeah. here's, here's the thing, you know, I, I happen to agree with, with the classical concept of art that, you know, you could argue that everything is political, but, um, I personally don't love 
overtly political art. Mm -hmm. Um, It's great when it's art that's meant to capture a historical moment. But um, even though socialist realism and even some Third Reich paintings are are fantastic compared to modern art, um, you know, I, I do see the limitations of art that seeks an end other than, you know, its own perfection, so to speak. Um, so, uh, what, what, what's your philosophy going into art? Because what I like about your art is that, you know, it clearly has a, a greater message, but it's not overtly political, right? Um, what, what are you trying to communicate through your paintings? I, I'm just trying to communicate what, uh, was the point of creating art for the last 2,000 years up until the last 200 years, uh, beauty. That, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make right. beautiful things as best I can. All right. Um, and I think that is in and of itself in a kind of a Kali Yuga situation like we're in right now, the post-war order. That in itself is a political act, even if, if you're reluctant to politicize it. You don't really have a choice but to, uh, you know, fight for this. And, you know, I saw recently that Roger Scruton, who passed away, one of the greatest contemporary philosophers on beauty, uh, had his documentary taken down from the BBC. Oh, of course. He had Roger Scruton. And, and, you know, that documentary is not particularly political, even though Roger Scruton had his own political views. Um, it was truly just an ode to beauty, an explanation of what it was. And uh, the BBC took it down. They took it down. And that's because um, they have created this uh, new parallel system that rejects beauty as a form of order. And order, when contrasted with the liberal system of values, liberal with a small L, not not necessarily liberal in the American sense, but liberal in general, the post-war order, um, that is threatening because it transmits order. And uh, when you transmit order, it makes it harder to get the population to agree to chaos. So that is why they, they will persecute Roger Scruton even in his death. Um, but it shows you, though, how far they've come, where we went from Roger Scruton becoming one of the, the prime philosophers of the West. Uh, they, during the Cold War, he was actually championed as a, a, a great counterexample to the Soviet project. So, as soon as the Soviet Union collapses, um, his star kind of uh, loses its luster, so to speak. Uh, then they, they once the Soviet Union was gone, now they're doing what they wanted to do all along that, that they felt they weren't they're not being pressured anymore. But uh, yeah. So what, what's your what's your if I had to ask you for an explanation of what you think beauty is, uh, how would you put it into words? Well, beauty to me is an objective aesthetic choice decision uh traditional um uh, activity i I would say but if i were to consult roger scruton 
uh, he said that um, the most beautiful is the useless beauty. The, the thing that you walk by every day that just had a craftsman spent a year on it. And that beauty, the useless beauty of a lamppost or, or some, you know, some uh, beautiful staircase, that beauty is a love letter to the civilization that it exists within. So I, it, I, I'm kind of dumbfounded to say anything more, really. And, and, that's, and that's what I see as beauty. When I, when I see a thing that has the presence of, of strife, effort, and struggle within it. Yes, and you all, you kind of see this appreciation for craft um, in a, a variety of sectors. Uh, you see it, for example, uh, you know, <laughs> the other day I went to a restaurant to, to get just a burger or something, and uh, they had something called handcrafted sodas. Oh, God. And, uh, you know, that that you could argue that's some bug man shit. But the, the sure. bug men are seeking that sort of, uh, say, uh, that, that kind of deliberateness that you don't get and you lose with mass production. Um, that's not to be over sentimental about it. There are good things about mass production. Don't get uh, you said the word. <laughs> you yeah. said the word over sentimental. <laughs> yes, yes. There, but you know that that's the thing about some of these Jewish critiques. Back when Jews were more, oh no, serious, they're right. They're right. They're they right. would they would tap something that is objectively true. The problem is they would take it to ridiculous conclusions that are even more insane than what they're criticizing. Right. So, sure, yes. there is over sentimentality in in some Rockwell paintings, but. Um, that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, piss Christ is the answer, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. so uh, my my philosophy is all things in moderation. You know, again, we you and I have discussed this before about the the um, the fact that the the photograph sort of um, made imitation painting obsolete. Right. Yes. Um, which. I sort of understand, but the thing is, like, it, it's it's okay to draw a little bit outside of the lines of objective beauty, right, in order to pursue a, a better beauty. But uh, once you start going way out there, then you're just making the the whole the whole art world into a, a self parody. Um, and you know, I, I noticed a lot, unfortunately, a lot of conservative types uh, lose their connection to their heritage, which is what our art is. It's our European heritage. Um, Caravaggio and, uh, you know, uh, Da Vinci and so on. This is our European heritage. But many people on the right in America don't even understand or, or contemplate on these achievements because of the fact that the art world has become a, a hyper-politicized parody of itself, right? It's it's gone from um, you know from from the uh, from the, the amazing works of uh, you know the Renaissance and the Romantic era 
um, you know, all the way into the 20th century, even you could say Dolly and so on, but it's turned into this, this new nonsense that is, uh, in my opinion, deliberately trying to turn white working class people away, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. What was your experience as, you know, because I know you, I know you very well, you're a working class guy. Um, what was your experience even from a class perspective? Was there a lot of snobbery and so on in the art world? Well, of course. Uh, one thing you would notice is uh, the um, the platitudes, you know, the, the people that, that are just suck each other off at these sh- fucking shows uh, <laughs> until – until the money hands leave, and then it becomes this uh, this self depreciating uh, circle where you have to admit your sins, you know. So like, yeah, like there's what? a lot of that. Well, just hating where you are and who you are and where you're from. Well, not where you are, but hating who you are and where you're from and your family and this kind of thing. And then you pass it on to the next person, and they do the same bit. You know, there's there's a lot of that. That was that was the kind of uh, the circle that you needed to um, kind of uh, agree with eventually at like 3 a.m. when when the uh, the booze was drying up and, and that, that was a thing. That, that's when you would get the nitty gritty real soul of the individualist capitalist art, uh, you know, art market pers- right. persona. Right. I, I think that um, in general, too. The uh, there are still people in the art world who are genuine idealists um, that do want to engage in art for its own sake. But the unfortunate reality is that there's no place for them to find their stride. There's no way you do need money to live. So oftentimes you'll see that um, people that have a lot of potential end up engaging in ridiculousness in painting garbage um, in order to please the present market, right? Right, yes. And that's something that is very confusing to me. I guess that's just probably because I am who I am and where I'm from and, and you know, I grew up very poor. And so that, uh, that idea just doesn't excite me. The, right. the idea of, of being... You know, uh, someone that uh, earns their wealth from their own self-degradation, I guess. Yeah, I mean, look at look at Picasso, right? Picasso was an amazing painter. He painted ugly crap because that was the only thing people would buy. Sure. So, you know, <laughs> but he, he, you know, what, what I've said before, you know, is that there's so it's not that we've lost the that magic that created the world's greatest artists. It's more so that social circumstances incentivize um, anti-social or or anti-classical, anti-beauty as its own end. So we need to, I think, create a space. I know you're part of it. We need to create a space for real art to flourish. And I think that with the NJP and various other projects we have that we're trying to do that, uh, I know, I mean, you could you could attest to this. There are tons of artists in our movement, right? 
Yes, uh, of all sorts of different variants. Lots of musicians and, and um, you know people who do video, obviously with uh, uh, Will to Rise, incredible stuff, incredible stuff they're putting out. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's people that have come into this from art and moved and have evolved into uh, something more. Like uh, you know, Emily is a, is a good case of that. Um, her art's incredible. And what she's doing now is, is fantastic too. It's, it's, yeah, I know it's, it's really fun to watch um, ideologues bloom. I don't know if ideologues is the right word, but people that have a, um, have a vision, you know, it's really nice to see that. Yeah. I mean, I, I believe that ideology is simply the expression of an intuition you already have. So, cause you know, coming to our, our politics is is quite counterintuitive. It's certainly not good for your career. So if you do it anyway, it's because you have this this overwhelming feeling, this overwhelming voice inside of you telling you that this is the verbal or or worldview that you already feel in your soul. So I think that um, that is one of the big reasons why people that, that create art are so attracted to our movement. Uh, honestly, I wish we had more lawyers, but uh, <laughs> sure. <yeah. laughs> of course, <laughs> I wish we had more lawyers. Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe uh, a couple of more, uh, uh, wealthy types, but to, to help us out. But, um, ultimately I do believe that the power of an artistic underground counterculture simply cannot be bought or sold. And I think that's one of the things that's helping us build momentum right now and always has been our strength, you know, because it, it really is a, a two things that feed off of each other. Courage feeds off of projections of heroism and projections of heroism are inspired by real world courage. And so there is a kind of uh, very um, intuitive connection and uh, overlap between art and revolution, isn't there? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's uh, one thing that I'm really striving for. I think uh, obviously other people are too, but creating the, um, the manifesto of sorts, uh, the ideological blueprint to combat uh, ugliness. Ugliness is probably the easiest word to describe it in the <laughs> aesthetic sense. So, you know, that, that's, a, that's something that I feel the future artist really needs to be concentrating on is destroying ugliness and having fire and, and vigor to do it. Yes, yes. So, um, Borzoi, could you bring up uh, his his last painting, Priscus versus Verus? Was that the one I just had up on the screen? Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. Let me pull that back up. Um, I, I just want you to give the uh, the audience your uh, your general feeling on what this painting represents. Right. Well, it's it's a dichotomy situation because you, first you have the obviously in the foreground you have the the competitors. These men obviously are worn out. They're beaten. They're bloody. 
Um, and they've been fighting their whole lives for this moment to be the top that they will ever be if they'll be, be able to survive. To be free, to be honorable men in, in a world that, you know, they, they were put into. And so then you have the crowd looking on and, and they're growing silent. You can see it in their faces. They're getting quieter. As uh, Titus's hand, the emperor, raises to signal that it's over and something more happens now. And as we know, history provides us that he, he freed them both, which was, you know, it wasn't completely unheard of, but it was definitely a, a triumphant moment for all of Rome. And so that is basically what you're viewing. It's it's perfect because it represents a, a kind of synthesis that ends up in liberation, and um, I, I really so what what's the meaning of the kind of um, the, the the fresco and the um, the of course the uh, the portrayals of of um, um, uh, of the kind of Greek style portrayals on the what 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 is the uh, Who's in that fresco on the right? Right, right. So what's interesting is um, uh, Rome was completely enamored by the art of ancient Greece. And so they uh, took a lot of their artistic inspirations uh, from them uh, in sculpture and in painting uh, and and mosaic work. As you can see in the rug there, uh, that's a mosaic. That's a a piece from a Greek floor. I can't remember where it is, but... uh, so there's that, and then the other uh, figures there. I can't remember the name of the deity on on the leopard right now, but uh, they are representing uh, one of the uh, wars Greece had with Jerusalem. Obviously, uh, uh-huh. well, <laughs> yeah, I, I, you can't see it so well, but uh, the one of the figures has a a, a little. <laughs> and, I think uh, I see oops. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And this is, you know, this is historically accurate, Stryker. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not just being. <laughs> yeah. I see it so. now. I see the nose. I see yeah. it. Yeah, that's and then, amazing. And then obviously that's a, that's an, uh, a, that brings you to, uh, it's a little hint that uh, Titus is emperor. Right. As the, uh, you know, the. Oh, what's the thing? What's what's the the giant um, sculpture? The arch. Yes, the Arch of Titus. Jeez. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Jeez. Okay. Yeah. But so that that's the uh, that's the hint. That's the Easter egg, as it were. The nose. <laughs> that, that. Yeah. There we go. Yes, the Arch of Titus, which represents uh, back when there was White Lives Matter uh, looting <laughs> Jerusalem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Roman lives matter, looting Jerusalem. Yeah. Um, which um, to to uh, to to speak in terms of uh, contemporary times, uh, you can still see it in Rome. Yes. Um, you can see the Arch of Titus and the depiction For how of long? spoils. <laughs> yes, that that will. I mean, you know, this is again, this is a fear that I talk to people in the art community about that I know. That I know they share, which is, you know, kind of, this is kind of a tangent, but who says that the next big anti-white 
insurrection or riots, state-backed insurrections, won't just go into classical art museums and destroy everything in sight. It will. It will. I, I, I see it already. I was talking to a friend earlier, and we were discussing the prospect. Is like, you know what? Uh, you know, they've got the Schofield Bible and whatnot, but they didn't really remove all of the really anti-Semitic script out of it. You know, the, they are of their father and uh, the synagogue of Satan. Who's going to fucking stop them if they do? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. Certainly not the, uh, the clerics. But when it comes to art, you know, just the, the sheer disrespect, you know, there's uh, statues that go back 100 years and the arguments in favor of keeping the sculptures and statues to great men are even from, a, from within the liberal paradigm that, OK, Christopher Columbus was a bad guy and blah, blah, blah. But this has historical value. Right. Those fall. Those arguments fall on deaf ears. Yes. yes um, so what what really is the difference between the beautiful sculpture outside of the museum, like the Teddy Roosevelt one, right, and the sculptures inside the museum? If historical posterity or objective beauty or um, any of these other factors have no effect when it comes to them taking down and destroying melting down the Robert E. Lee statue. Why wouldn't they go inside and start destroying the Greek and Roman stuff? And that's why I've said before on, on my, my networks that the only art that's going to matter is art that is made right now, that's made with a, a community that, that we are a part of. That's the only art you can, I mean, you can trust because you can give your lifeblood for. Right. You know, I mean, you can give your lifeblood for these these beautiful ancient pieces, but the institutions own them. They're in the the den, the mouth of, of the rat, as it were. Yes. London, New York, California. That's where all the greatest works of art are held right now. Um, and it, it's quite terrifying because these places are not safe for European humans. Why would they be safe for European art? Yep. That's the question. Uh, all all physical depictions. I saw um, a study now recently that in the last year, uh, white people in America are only about one in four persons depicted in television commercials. Jesus. So whites are being written out of the script in this uh, horror movie called America. Why wouldn't they also destroy the depictions of idealized Europeans? If yes. whiteness is the if, if 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 the West, which is what they when they talk about the West or they mean white, if those uh, if, if if whites in the West are the root of all evil, how's that any and and you're willing to destroy this uh, this evil? In a, in a fit of moral fanaticism, um, why wouldn't you destroy the manifestations of this evil, such as Greek and Roman sculptures and marbles and so on? Well, uh, even the, the people that are getting the educations or the education about these, these um, beautiful works are, are getting it from a critical perspective. I mean, if right. you – are interested in classical oil painting, I mean, you're going to come up against the criticism. 
just like you would if you are uh, in or how many like how many people in the orchestra do you think are like pro white activists? Yeah, it's the same know. thing. What what, I, what do you think? I would say slim to nil. Really, I would assume so. I mean, I, I I would at least like prepare myself for the worst, and that's the worst is that they are there to basically um, preserve it in the condition that this is uh, a LARP. This is antiquated. Right. Well, I, you know, the, the, the issue, once again, is conservatism and its anti-intellectual, anti-artistic streak. Yes. Because if conservatives were more interested in art, uh, or at least not conservatives, but like, you know, ordinary white people were, were taught by conservatives to be more interested in art, to fight the left, the left liberals for the art, for a position at the Met. If, if this fight was even happening, there might actually be a chance at preserving our art forever. But because of this anti-intellectual streak, the... Uh, the dingo isn't even stealing the baby. You're <laughs> you're actually taking the baby and putting it in the dingo's den. Okay? And so the people that run all the art museums, and I've known some, the people that actually manage or work in, in bureaucratic positions at, at various art museums in New York and London and so on, uh, are NPR listening retards. You got it. Okay, they listen to NPR and it's not anyone's fault but the phony rights, because guess what? NPR for a long time used to teach that knowing about art and culture and classical music was a good thing. So it started off with liberals, art and classical music becoming a liberal endeavor. And now NPR is teaching these same people to hate whites, to destroy European accomplishments, to destroy European civilization, despite the fact that NPR and its audience is about 84% white. So what what do you make of this? Is there a chance to, I, I never dis- discount anyone from being a potential comrade, but it seems to me that it's actually more likely that we have to win over some of these white liberals that when you go to a museum, you see them, they're there. There's not really any conservative at the museum when you go to the Met or anything. Uh, right. There, the, the conservatives are, are somewhere else. They're not, in, they're not at the museum enjoying and appreciating art. So what, what choice do we have but to perhaps try and win over some of these liberals? I mean, what do you think? Yes, the uh, beautiful, beautiful art and architecture is be, has become low class as the elites move more to the um, the interest of things like piss Christ and and uh, right. and Cooning or not Coon, well even de Cooning uh, and yep. also Jeff Coons. That is where the elite are are focused. These uh, international uh, forever culture ideas of of nothingness and nihilism um and also obviously uh ethnic art and i don't mean ethnic in the european sense i mean ethnic as in um uh, spanish or or african 
they, they will glom onto that until that becomes problematic as well. Um, that that's what I see. Uh, the beauty is now going to be ours. It's going to be a a class issue where the elite, the people that are glommed onto the elite, are are going to look at beautiful art uh, traditions and 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 folk stories. Because I've already seen it. I've talked to people in in, in the art world and, and other types of uh, you know elite status seekers, and I'll bring up uh, uh, traditional German things or traditional Swedish things, and and I can feel the, their ire, their <laughs> disdain. You know, they're 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 looking at the floor, staring at their feet, silence over it because this this is low class. Now we're talking about low class things, right? Well, I, I think that um, positioning ourselves as defenders of classical art is a winning political position. Absolutely. And uh, I do believe that there are sincere liberals that when faced with this level of animosity will end up thinking twice about some of their political presuppositions uh, regarding uh, oh so would saying Spanish art you're, you're not talking you're not talking about Dolly or El Greco you're talking about like as I don't want to say Latin because I was just I was just reading about the, the yes. Latin <laughs> oh yes yes <laughs> you know how it is so well, you know I, I, I mean? think yeah. I think what you mean is like uh, uh, Central American, name? you know. Stuff yes. Like that. Yeah. yes, 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 like that, that bitch, kind. that uh, big eyebrow whore. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 that kind yes. of who, stuff. Who actually uh, who, cucked who, Leon Trotsky, which is my, one of my <laughs> favorite. <laughs> to, to be fair, Frida Frida Kahlo and um, and her husband, they weren't terrible painters. Like they 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 created like oh no. <laughs> the, the, well, I mean, you know, but com- compared to now. Sure. Okay. Um, that that it was kind of like futuristic, you know, like uh, futurism. D- at, at Diego was definitely her, inspired from Diego. That. Yes. Yes, yes. Not absolutely. not Freed. I don't. I, I'm not not mm-hmm. Cowell, but mm-hmm. yes, he he wasn't that bad. But the reason why that type of art, well, the reason why their art is is so famous, is because it was um, political. Yes. Okay, that's why it's not because they were that th- there were better futurist painters and, and oh, absolutely. Uh, at the time. But they're famous because of largely because of media hype, frankly, yeah. um, you know, because, you know, you can't you can't say. Yeah, but the, the point is, though, the point you're trying to get at, too, is that um, art that is p- perceived as either political or non-European is absolutely championed to an extent. I mean, I'll actually say that you may actually be talking about uh, something that might at this point in 2022 be outmoded because the art that I don't even see really Frida Kahlo or Diego Rivera being celebrated as much as they used to. Increasingly, it's kind of like millennials doing woke art now. Which is completely meaningless. Um, that that's so, something I've noticed. Uh, so I think that in general, we we may be living in a time where it is the end of art, um, and instead, what it is is just a bunch of people cargo culting nonsense 
and getting a bunch of people to pretend it's it's beautiful um, without it actually being so. But uh, well, yeah, I mean, go ahead. Well, you see, like um, I, I viewed the whole uh, the whole aspect of transgenderism as like modern art sculpture. Uh, you know this kind of stuff why not i I think it's all yeah i mean i think uh the canvas uh stopped being you know a a wall or a um a sheepskin or something and became the body i think that was a, a a calculated move to get people away from the idea that oh yeah you know in the 90s you uh you're you're a, a, the weird kid in school in, in in a town that nobody understands you. So you start drawing weird stuff, and then you move out to Los Angeles and, and race mix or whatever. And then um, <laughs> and then now it's uh, oh you uh, chop your your dink off and um, and uh, you know now you're now you're a very uh, important person because of this. I, I think that's that's how they individualize this this expression well i think that um the sort of mr potato headification of art right (laughs) take take it off put it on explain that what is that (laughs) you just take off the different features and then you put them you put them upside down and then you call it novel right so you know you you kind of see that the logic of of you know art as the the expression of the amateur has been taken to an absurd conclusion right and the fact that actual craft or actually that the greats are no longer really taught in art school i mean i remember when i was uh when i was in 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 college even uh, a long time ago um, I took an art class, and they spent about one or two classes on the greats and doing things like depth and things like that. Right. And the rest of it was, uh, you know, um, who's that Jew in, in Russia that, that did, like, the, the, the rectangles like that? It was that kind of shit. You're talking about Chagall? Um, no, I'm talking about, uh, fucking something ski. Rothko? Oh, Rothko oh. was one of them, yes. Okay, but, uh, sure. Ski. Uh, hmm. Yeah, something ski. But anyway, that's, that's what they spent the overwhelming majority of the, uh, of the class teaching. So if you're an artist, you know, you're not really taught how to do it. And believe it or not, it's, conti- it's entirely feasible. Yeah, K- Kandinsky, someone said it. Oh, Kandinsky, yeah. Uh, it's entirely feasible that one day we may full well forget how to paint like the masters used to. That's an Uh, interesting thing. I hope not. It's completely feasible, you know, Um, and you see various symptoms of this because remember a a civilization is essentially the trans transferring of knowledge of accumulated knowledge from one generation to the next. And if you take into account the racial theory, uh, this transfer is only possible through, at least in part, the blood. So when you change the people, 
that creates an intergenerational kind of severance, doesn't it? And, you know, like the uh, like the Russian parliament members said recently, the new people that are uh, populating the West uh, simply cannot even intuitively recreate the art. Uh, and it remains to be seen if they can even mimic it. So it's very possible that the art of you know, multi-dimensional painting could be lost in our lifetime. Well, I'd say they would definitely work towards such goals, but the problem with art is the the cream rises in art. It doesn't matter if it's if it's you know woke retards doing that crap. Uh, there's still you know people of genius level skill set doing things, and if they have the right ideas in their head, I, I look at art as as like revolutionary propaganda right so i mean if you you have a movement of survival you're going to have people that are that are creative that are going to keep inspiring those to go and and do what it takes to survive right what what do you think uh, do you know any contemporary painters that are worth looking at or sculptors and so on? Yes. Uh, there's a really great artist named Mark Majori. He paints cowboys and, um, and, and, oh, and West scenes of the old West. They're, those are incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of really great artists alive that are, they're in the market that people really enjoy and they survive, but like, I mean, they're not political though. Right. Um, I mean, it, it kind of is all political and, so, you know, yes. so it's, it's hard to, hard to, I can't imagine like what the critics say about them, even if they are successful, they, they just have to turn their nose up and just keep on doing it. Like Norman Rockwell. Right. I mean, for me, I mean, I, I put I put it right out there, like with with the with the the thing of neo kitsch. It is supposed to be combative. It is there to be a um, a reverse satire of sorts, where you know the the reaction is supposed to out the uh, the enemy, where mm-hmm. they view something. That is, uh, you know, a pregnant white woman, and, and they scoff. That that's the point is to have you right. scoff. You know, I think you had an experience like that, right? <laughs> I've. It's funny because I, I talked to somebody, and I, I showed them a painting of a of a, I, that I did of a pregnant white woman, and he said, "You know what? That's going to be illegal in like thirty years." And I was like, "What the fuck? Did you well, really like just?" Well, like three. <laughs> like, the only you know, part I agree with is is the uh, is the time the time uh, the time frame. That's sure. really yeah. No, he's probably right. Um, That's so funny though, because that, that was not a coach response at all. It was just right off the cuff. Boom. <laughs> oh no, the people that are actually in that world know better than anyone what's coming, and uh, I think that, um, you know. The fact that we don't know great artists is not that they're not around. It's that right. there's, that we'll never know them because our enemies control our system. 
it's the equivalent of the Ottomans, really. The Ottomans um, really worked to um, detach their subject peoples from their heritage and, and physical manifestations of their culture. And that can take a, a variety of forms from, you know, forbidding them from practicing their religious traditions to stopping people from riding horses. You know, these are different ways of doing it. But what, what's obvious from the, the historical pattern is that when someone works that hard to do that, it's because they're trying to hurt you. It's not because they're trying to better something. It's because they're trying to hurt you. Um, so I think that um, understanding someone, oh, someone, someone's giving some names here. They say, yeah, contemporary artists: Jeremy Lipking, Sergey Marshnikov, Alex Venezia, Joseph Tarotovich, Sean Cheatham. Joshua LaRock, Glendine. I have no idea who any of these people I, I've are. I've heard some of them. I've heard at least the Russian ones. Is there, I mean, have you have you looked at how different cultures and, and nations are, are looking at art? Is the situation in, in a place like Russia better for artists than America? No. Uh, the best uh, The best way to have conversations about beauty art and culture is in the dissident sphere um yes. by far obviously because we're the ones that understand what's at stake we're the ones that study and and appreciate it i mean liberals will, well i don't mean like lintards or whatever right. fucking <laughs> they'll, they'll look at it and 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 understand it but they don't they don't value it as an item that was an expression of the civilization in which it was created. Mm -hmm. We do. We understand that. We understand when you look at a beautiful sculpture from 2000 years ago, that that was a triumph of the civilization and they attached that civilization to that piece. Right. That's the kind of shit that you got to have to have a successful revolutionary um, civilization community. A community has to be inspired. You know, that's the job of the musician. That's the job of the artist and the poet and, and the philosopher. You have to have those things. Right. What else do you fight for? What, what else is there to fight for besides, like, art, beauty, and, and children and, and all this? Well, you know, when it comes to uh, inter-civilizational strife, for example, or, or, or conflicts between peoples, you notice that the, for example, we were talking about the Romans. The Romans essentially copied Greek art. Yes. Uh, in a one-to-one -one ratio. They just used different materials maybe, but right. they, yes, they, they just did. copied Greek art. Despite the fact that they, that the Greeks were, were for a while their enemies and they enslaved most of them. Right. Uh, you know, but they still had the objective wisdom to appreciate that there was something very special about what the Greeks were doing. I find that our hostile alien elites, our Jewish elites, uh, when they see our beautiful art, their instinct is to throw red paint on it, to throw a bucket of red paint on our art. Right. In some cases, literally, you see them doing it to statues all the time. 
when there's a statue of a figure that they don't like, like Christopher Columbus, they throw red paint on it. Well, um, the Weather Underground destroyed a, a priceless Rodin sculpture in Cleveland of the thinker. There was only two or three made, and wow. a yeah, an activist put a bomb underneath it and, and blew its feet off, something that's just irreplaceable. Yeah, you know? we know the Weather Underground, uh, what they were about. Right. Yeah, they they were they were all goys, right? Alan yeah. Sterenberg and <laughs> Rosenberg and yeah, I mean and that that Dorn was, and yeah, I mean, but that that you know the Weather Underground is essentially in charge of America right now. That kind of that that momentum, that ideological. I mean, if you read various books about their their sexual practices, their their ideology, oh, and so on. Well, yeah, yeah, it's disgusting. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> um, they, they were ahead of their time when it comes to uh, America, you know. Uh, yeah, someone was said, was talking about uh, Glenn Dubin. I'm sure you know about Glenn Dubin, right? Uh, let's uh, go ahead and give me a refresher. Uh, yes, well, he's a very prominent benefactor of hideous art. Ah. And, yes, he's a billionaire, a Jewish billionaire. Oh, Okay. Who uh, is, yeah, of course, uh, implicated in the Jeffrey Epstein scandal? Oh, you yes. so, no, Yeah, um, this is news. He's one I'm of the big. He's one of the big guys in, uh, you know, the uh, Museum of Modern Art in New York mm. City. Him okay. and Larry Fink. Oh yeah, from um, from uh, BlackRock and so on. Guggenheim. Uh, and yes, Guggenheim, don't forget him. And so, yes, mm -hmm. uh, Glenn, Glenn, Glenn Dubin is, has been accused by victims in the Epstein scandal of, of raping children, of, of trafficking children and stuff. Mm -hmm. So the discord of the soul, the ugliness of the soul uh, absolutely plays a role in the sponsorship of ugly art. There is a connection there, isn't there? Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's they are they they sponsor the aesthetics that destroy a civilization. That, that's what you see in modern art. That's what you see in, in abstraction. Yes, and uh, so I I have a um, I have an article here from um, this was written in February 2020, um, and. The article is is basically about how people like Dubin and Hearst, another guy Hearst, Hearst, uh, ha how they basically memed Andy Warhol as one of the most valuable uh, <laughs> artists in the world. Um, and what they've basically done with the art world is turned it into one big tax dodge. Um, they they use uh, donating donating overvalued art to the MoMA and so on. Uh, they, they, they use media power and they use uh, the manipulation of the art market to overvalue a piece of art. Then they donate it and they can get, uh, they can get kickbacks or, or uh, rebates on their estates taxes, for example, by just, I'm pretty sure that you could just pretty much arbitrarily value the art that you donate. So uh, essentially, yes, 
the art world has become one big tax scam for Wall Street Jews. Yes, and also another aspect that is uh, less talked about is when you're in the blue chip community, the blue chip auction community, you will see what's going on. There's the laundering aspect, but then also there's the aspect of, uh, let's say, um, Ari from Geffen, right? He he owns a piece that's worth $5 million, and so he puts it up on a, you know, auction, and, uh, you know, um, Moishi, he, he buys it for $6 million, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and so what does that get Moishi? Well, that gets Moishi a handshake with Ari. And so it's an elite, uh, it's an elite handshake. It's, it's an, an elite gathering where you can meet and greet with your money. You know, oh, you have the money. That seems, you seem like you're successful. By the way, you go to the same shul as, as my cousin. So boom, now we're, we're basically family, you know, stuff like yeah. that. You, I would notice that all the time when I would go to these things. The general... Uh, attitude these people have, though, is is really like absolutely plays a role in in the the, the complete degradation of our society. Um, and if art is not sacred, nothing is, right? I mean, I'm sure you would agree with that. Um, so yeah. So anyway, um, tell us a little bit more about your your favorite projects that you've uh, put out there and then uh, perhaps some future ones. Sure. My favorite project is probably the, the Neo kitsch project where basically the, the idea was to create an inventory of aesthetics that will be problematic for our enemy to view. I think I went into it a little bit there. Cross to uh, a vampire. <laughs> yeah, bring the mirror right up, you know. Right. Bring it right to him. Uh, <laughs> so th that's one thing. The, the idea is that if you could be a fly on the wall next to the piece, you would you would you know hear the criticisms and 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 that that's the point because it, it it gives away the position. They, they have nowhere else to, to kind of maneuver. It's about the beauty. The beautiful aspect of it is, is what it is. It's hyper aware of what it is. It's like, oh, that's kitsch. Yes. <laughs> yes, meme. That is what it is, you know? Well, you know, the, the, my, in my opinion, um, the most powerful kinds of political propaganda and activism is when you put something out that's objectively good and objectively noble and objectively beautiful and something that is frankly a consensus, right, in terms of what it is. Right. And then it's the noses come out and condemn it. That's far more powerful and far more offensive to them, far more demoralizing and weakens them than, you know, I'm not saying there's no place for it, but like drawing caricatures of Jews and stuff. Right. Uh, right. That there's a place for that, especially in comedy and humor and so on. But um, really, it's just objective portrayals of beauty and them reacting to it. They they're far more offended by that than they are by people calling them racial slurs or, or drawing them with big bulbous noses and stuff, aren't they? Right. Yes. 
Yes, the, just, the product right. of the civilization they're trying to destroy. I would say when they when they see the little resurgences, no matter how minuscule, that is a threat. Right. And that's what it's supposed to be. Yes, and it also forces them into the realm of paranoia and overcorrection, like we were talking about before. If yeah. they see that there's a there's a, a white art movement that takes inspiration from Greece and Rome and the classics, uh, they're just going to start taking sledgehammers to all of the sculptures in the Met. And that'll be very painful to see in the short term. But in the long term, it would cause anyone, even people that are bought into this system, to retract and think about what they're doing serving this system and say, hmm, maybe it's time to fight these people. Because once you go to that level, then you, you've basically made a whole people your enemy in a very overt way. So forcing the enemy to show who he is as our uh, no no laureate poet, national laureate poet, Maya Angelou, who is now on the 25 cents. I don't know if you saw this. <laughs> I, I definitely saw it, yeah. Saw it. <laughs> When's the last time you saw a quarter, by the way? I don't... <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually, I saw Maya Angelou when she was live at one point. Um, really? Huh. Yeah. I, <laughs> it was uh, in my... Uh, I, I was younger, just put it that way. I was younger, and yeah, she was speaking, and so I decided to go and uh, be, you know, just uh, overwhelmed uh, by by the the beauty and and and. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> of course, <laughs> it was. I think it's fitting. Yeah. I think it's fitting that my Angelou gets put on the quarter. Yeah, no, because uh, here you have a worthless burden. <laughs> Which is what quarters are. <laughs> this is the hot takes right here. Yes. The quarter, <laughs> the quarter is a worthless burden. Fuck quarters. Eric we're not putting put a black on it. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's, I mean, so it's quite fitting that we, as as the money, as, as money becomes more worthless, you know, um, yeah. But, you know, in all in all seriousness, the uh, I, I do I have to say, though, I do kind of like the the new Washington on it. He kind of looks like Mussolini. <laughs> Does Did he? you see this shit here? Let me I put it up. Not, I don't I know. If Borzoi. <clears throat> Let's see if I can actually. He, he looks like he looks like Mussolini in a wig. Where are you posting that? I can pull it up. OK. Yeah. Be in the Skype chat here. Yeah. Yeah. Let me let me just get this just for just for the crowd out there. This is the picture. One second. No worries. All right. Yeah. Put it up. I might as well. This is going to take a second, so you might want to just. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's tight. Yo, Washington looks fucking awesome on it. (laughs) Yeah. But then he's got Maya Angelou behind it. Yeah. How much is a quarter worth now as as inflation goes up? Is it worth like five cents from like five years ago? I'm a smart uh, libertarian, so I only think in terms of Dogecoin's denominations. So, uh, that is I have culture, perhaps, I see. Perhaps 0.001 Dogecoin. <laughs> possibly, possibly what it's worth. But, yeah. Um, yeah, so, 
Yeah, no, I'm sure. I'm sure you saw some shit when when you were out there. I mean, what? what how did you feel when you were <laughs> out working in the art world? Really, you didn't. You didn't love it. So, <laughs> it was in in LA. Uh, there's no middle class at all. So that yeah. was interesting because uh, I would go from you know the um, the usual of having nothing and and um, eating you know, Chinese takeout and surviving three days on that to like living in Beverly Hills. And I did, I lived in Beverly Hills for a little bit. Yeah, no, it was pretty tight. Uh, There's a lot of little interesting nooks and crannies about Beverly Hills. Like when you live there, they tell you the restaurants to go to that are like dirt cheap and basically only locals know about them. It's on the screen now. And that's tight. eh? Um, I do have, yeah, I'll tell you. There you go. <laughs> I saw it. Yeah, I think. Let's see. Let's Go see ahead. Pull back up. Yeah, it's no. In, uh, so it's in the Skype. It also should be on the uh, on the uh, video now. Oh, okay, cool. Right. So, um, yeah, I got one uh, one story that uh, is the reason why I left. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, I was coming up. I was doing pretty good in, in the art world. I, I had some work on TV shows and I, and I did a thing, uh, you know, a mural festival that was on TV, which was pretty cool. And, and people were learning my name and all this. And so it was time to do a coming out solo show. And so I spent six months preparing this show and sleeping on couches by the time. Cause I, I, I had been, uh, either moved out or kicked out of Beverly Hills. I can't remember which one it was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, right. So, um, the day of the show and I put six months of like, I mean, thousands of hours into this work. Um, an hour into the show, there was a drive by gangland shootout in front of the gallery and we ran for our lives. It was like uh, black and Mexican gangs that were doing, really? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ain't America lovely. Yeah, I got photos of it too because there was no news about it, no nothing, obviously, because wow. it's, yeah, because yes. that's the area. And, you know, these things don't happen in, in rich areas. <laughs> wink, wink. Right. But yeah, wow. so that that's a, that's probably my funnest story that pretty much, you know, I, I grew up in an entirely white area, uh, low crime, a little bit of drug addiction here and there, but not anything else. And uh, I went out into the world to experience diversity. You know, I, I, I went all sorts of different places and, and, you know, did that whole thing. And that was the end right there. That was the end. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's like uh, g- going to a place like New York City or Los Angeles, it really is like going into the future. It's like you step into a time machine. And uh, you get to see what's in store for the rest of the country. Yeah, that's. And a, that's I, I find I find that the best uh, radicals, the best political people I know, are people that have experienced that world. It fills you with a kind of uh, desperation to win. <laughs> that you know, if you live in in um, in Iowa or something. You don't necessarily have the same uh, the same fire inside of you. You really have no idea in some cases just how bad 
the uh, the world on the other side is okay. I mean, I have tons and tons of stories from my life that sure that you know people ask me like, where do you get the you know the energy? Where do you get the patience? Where do you what why are you, why are you fighting so hard? It's because I saw I saw the future and it's not beautiful. Um, it's it's actually a really hideous, horrible, soulless, um, mind numbing evil place and uh you know i find that uh, especially when you're when you're contrasting the world of art which tends to be in these places um you really <laughs> right. get, you get to see the symptoms firsthand and feel them <clears throat> but um but yeah no i'm i'm glad that uh that you got to see it for yourself <laughs> i recommend other people go go to la Go to New York City. Don't stay ignorant. Go there, and I promise you that what they have in store for you is uh, not in your interest, and you can't really hide from it because every day, every week, every month, and every year, New York City and L.A. expand a little further. They expand a little further out. You see it um, with right. New Yorkers, New Yorkers, and a lot of them are white, too, by the way. Uh, moving out to Vermont and Maine or Pennsylvania or New, you know, New Jersey people moving out to different parts. And you see it with Californians taking over uh, Idaho and Montana and so on that you're not safe anywhere. Okay. You're just not. As long as you live under the United States Incorporated, you are subject to its, uh, future which is new york city i remember back in the day people would 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 ring the alarm bells and get hysterical about the prospect of sharia law in europe right that was back when there was a lot of terrorist attacks and right understandable but what i would tell people at the time is don't get hysterical about sharia law because when the future actually gets to you when you actually uh when you wake up 10 years from now in London, you're going to wish you had Sharia law. Yeah, it's going to be Shamrim law. <laughs> right. Because the template, the template for the liberal West is not Afghanistan. It's New York. Okay. It's just pure incoherence all the time. Palestine. Or, yes, yes. Well, that's going to be. Rural whites are going to be the ones that, you know, if, if you think that moving away from the city and, and I, I get it, I support it. But if you think moving away from the city is the panacea, it's going to cure everything. Well, right. They're just they're they're pushing you out on purpose so that you are a like a boar in South Africa. The boars uh, live out in the country and, and things aren't going so great for them in South Africa. So. Point is that uh, the only real way to have safety is safety in numbers. And uh, that's why we need to rally around our political views and our political movement, because that also serves in turn as a safety net and a, 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 a network and also a, a underground counterculture where art is truly free. You are truly free to paint to your heart's content, to your soul's content in our world. And I 
absolutely implore more artists to come on board to our movement um, because it's through partially through aesthetics that we can overwhelm this system, I think. Yeah, but, absolutely. Uh, anyway, Borzoi, do we have any questions? Yeah, we have a couple donations here. Uh, sure. All right, I'll just entropy because there's only one right now. Okay. I, I'm never even sure if this entropy stuff ever works when we're not streaming on YouTube. But anyways, Sneedem Feedem uh, donated 20 bucks. <laughs> donate 20 bucks, I'll definitely I'll definitely read it. Striker and Fashcroft would make a fire Wignat rap duo. Uh, I'll, I'll look into that. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Back in the day in Queens, there was actually a, a white power rap group. Back in the day, like uh, 2005 or something. There's some. There's a, a a rap group called Neo Hate, and uh, it was positively terrible. But they kind of <laughs> pioneered the uh, the art form uh, before there was a Mr. Bond. All right. Yeah. Yeah, I remember because I know there's a lot of white nationalists kind of go back and forth on this. So it kind of depends on the type of white nationalist you are, but the the proliferation of hip hop among among literal wignats. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think it was I can't remember who it was somebody had, was talking to uh, nationalists in in Europe and, the, and they were saying like look man like this is what the youth are into we got we have to beat them where they are I think it was Rundo who said the... that was it was probably yeah that actually sounds like mm -hmm. a lot like Rob actually mm -hmm. yeah I mean I listen I get it but you have to have nuance okay if you're if you're gonna be the guy this is this is the big difference between what we're doing and what trads are doing. Okay, if everyone's driving a car and you're riding around a horse and buggy, well, you're just a moron. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry to all our Amish listeners, but uh, <laughs> yeah, if if you're doing that, you're just an idiot. So the lark. Yeah. Again, there there is again. This is this is the problem with 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 these Jews that that deconstructed art is that there is something to what they're saying, right? Yes. About kitsch and things like that. Uh, and really what that is, is a criticism of, of, of conservative instincts, which is that yesterday and today are the only things. There's no tomorrow. Uh, and increasingly, it's just yesterday. But time goes on and your yesterday becomes more and more recent. There's no actual lasting substantial thing to ground you because you're so obsessed with the trappings of tradition rather than the actual uh, innermost and, and, and deep meaning of it. So, for example, you know, uh, a good example of this is like, you know, the new conservative hero right now is Stu Peters, right? That's the new, right. like, big conservative name, who, like, five years ago was, like, a straight Bill Cap-wearing rapper. Okay. <laughs> so, like, it's crazy. you know, that that's kind of where you get it, but the the... the the, what, the more productive way of doing this is to take the values and use whatever modern tools or mechanisms you need to to achieve and accomplish the goals you want. Um, you know, I, I'm not that partial to traditionalism as we understand it in the, in the sense of um, you know, the little, like, like fetishizing the little world over the big one. What I mean by that is, mm -hmm. um, you know, 
kind of like the guy that gets up and makes his bed. And those are all good values. Don't get me wrong. But we need to think in terms of the bigger context, the big world, too, you know. Um, so, yes. Anyway, let's keep going. Borzoi. Okay. Uh, over here. Tam donates $14.88. Thank you, Tam. You should, Tam, like, you could write anything and I'll read it. You, you should you should take advantage of that sometime. Uh, five <laughs> bucks from Swayze Express. Aaron is a great artist. Love the show. Oh, thank you. You are getting more attention for your art, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. No, it's great. Yeah, I really, I really appreciate uh, all the people that have um, collaborated or uh, that have, uh, you know, put me out there. It's uh, really a godsend. I saw that your telegram of your most recent piece has like 10,000 views on it. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 pretty incredible. Um, you know, have I did you know, a, I did, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, have you looked at who has reposted it? Because you can do that on Telegram. You can see whenever uh, any of your posts, you can see where it's been reposted at outside of yeah. like, private group chats. Have you taken a look at that? I have and uh, was very happy with what I saw, especially I saw Will to Rise. And I was like, yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> I'm glad they liked that. <clears throat> yeah, I, I find that Will to Rise have very, very interesting aesthetic sense as well in, in their kind of art. Very unique. They do a yeah. good job with it's, uh, it's very keeping European. me interested. Yes. Very European style that, you know, we, we should uh, – I'm glad that they're doing that because I think that's, um, frankly, just better than what WNs in America have been doing for all this time. Um, so I, I like what, what the, the kinds of uh, – the, the kind of um, it, it, it's edgy, but it's like I said, it keeps the integral element of tradition intact, despite perhaps violating some some traditional norms. Right. In the in the small sense, like, OK, some people are covered in tattoos or, uh, you know. Perhaps they 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 emphasize a little too much the beauty of of, of beating someone's face. In. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> well, it's but, also very working class, and that spans you know that, that spans the entire consciousness of of, of Europe, European um, identity. That's something I think they do very well. Yes, and and they and we also have to break with this idea. That being working class means being stupid. Yes, or, or absolutely. Being that is Quitting not working class of low class. Yes, my my grandfather used to always tell me, class is something you're born with, not something that you can buy, and uh, that's always stayed with me. I've never had money, um, but I've always, you know, kept an eye for for things that are. Uh, beautiful or unique and so on and and and, and truly deeply appreciate it and, and and so when people kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater and assume that beautiful things are bourgeois or something um i it may also be part of the protestant versus catholic thing historically the catholic you know you look at a catholic church and you look at a protestant church and it's safe to say there's a big difference right like the, the Catholic churches just have more, not to say there's, there aren't enormous problems with Catholicism. I'm not a Catholic. Sure. Sure. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, maybe an ethnic Catholic is a Southern European, but not uh, really 
have much respect for the institution anymore. Um, but with that said, the Catholic Church has sponsored some of the greatest art the world has ever known. Yes, Medici uh, family. Yes, and so you can't take that away from them. And and it's kind of a shame that Pope Francis is is not really running from that heritage, but he's he's trying to pander to liberals uh, by sponsoring modern art and stuff. Imagine that. Imagine imagine the, the ghastliness of the Catholic modern art, like. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the ghastliness of it. <laughs> I mean, why so, not? You know, I mean, they they've got to attract, uh, you know, the who are they going to attract? <laughs> well, they're going to they're going to attract the people that are trying to come second place in the anti-racist Olympics. You know, there that's, you go. That's <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> I mean, it's not like you know, it's not like you're going to attract anyone from the art world to the Catholic Church by doing that. So definitely what, not now. I mean, they, they, see, the thing is, a lot of I mean, artists, yeah, are mostly liberals, and, and they have the mindset that, like, uh, Christianity is, is super anti, like, globo homo, and they're wrong. I don't mean Christianity as in the the, the actual theology. I mean, like, the modern Christian church, because, I mean, Christianity is a beautiful thing. But the modern Christian church, that's what they're trying to attract. So yes. And and it is a a question of status, you know, and that's why you know it's it's not it's not a good sign. But nevertheless, right. the Catholic Church has contributed <clears throat> enormously to the expansion and preservation of European culture. That's not up for debate, right? Um, but uh, but yeah, um, uh, yes, uh, I I don't remember what we were talking about before that, but yes, let's uh, let's keep going. Actually, okay. <laughs> Back up. Library coin from Forest Elephant. Sadly, many of the great draftsmen and artists are in the field of concept art in Hollywood comics and animation. It's a crime that an artist like Frank Frazetta is dismissed as an illustrator, while Andy Warhol is considered the artist of the 20th century. Right. Yes. Frank Frazetta uh, is a king. Yes. And the, the thing is, though, is that, you know, again, um, now th this, this I'm more conflicted on. Okay, I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that there's any artistic merit to superhero garbage. Okay. <laughs> okay. However, people have to work within the confines that they that they have. There's you know, there's a world out there. You can reject reality, or you can embrace it, but it's still going to be there. So I'm not going to judge uh, a talented artist or classical composer that will you know use their their immense talents and gifts to for a fucking superhero movie okay um you know you know paladoris is a great example in terms of music right basil paladoris would have been a great composer in another time but um because of the structure of where where money and 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 artistic creativity is allocated uh he was essentially stuck doing like you know movie soundtracks which is what it is okay conan the barbarian is a great movie conan the destroyer on the other hand <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> holy shit <laughs> or basil but um nevertheless you know you, you have to live within your times as well not judge try try and pan out the crap and 
try and appreciate the goodness, you know. And uh, yeah, but uh, let's keep going. Fourteen dollars and eighty-eight cents from a real big Ash fan. Grug Wignat rapper Energy will save the white race. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, Hell yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll just I'll just go on to the next one here then. Um, uh, Potts donates twenty five dollars. Wonderful to see beautiful art that counters modern art garbage. Hail victory! Yeah, it it, it is very uh, important the work you do, Aaron, because a lot of people feel this malaise and dismay, and frankly, a permanent, unending disquietude living in the United States. Because they don't see beautiful things at all anywhere. Yeah, it, it, it is like living in a place that just censors. You know, what I was writing about before, I, I believe I wrote it on Telegram, is that our, our preconceived notions in the liberal West of what totalitarianism is, is, you know, the Norse fire party um, upholding basic morality and basic artistic structure um, and, uh, you know, shutting down the people that maybe want to break the norms or mores. But in reality, the tyranny of the West is the other way around. It's the inmates running the asylum. Um, and if you understand the dynamics of power, you know that the bad drives out the good. So the freaks out there, they get together and they make sure normal people cannot access art, as you know full well. So this is actually something else we need to struggle with, which is preconceived notions of what tyranny really is. And Tyranny is not what you've seen portrayed in movies. I think Mike actually made this great point that when, whenever there's an authority or collective endeavor, uh, people start uh, – it taps their funny bone in their brain about uh, uh, what tyranny is, right? Uh, when it's actually not always that accurate or cut and dry. Uh, in, in a sense, <clears throat> more liberalism is the ultimate tyranny because the more liberal a society becomes in terms of the breakdown of the family, the breakdown of the community, the, the breakdown of social norms, the more reliant you become as an individual on the state to uphold your rights. So if you don't have people backing you up, if you don't have a family structure or a large network of people with common interests that are usually brought together maybe with a church, but not always, they could be brought together by a political structure. But if you lose that, then you become more susceptible to being uh, terrorized. And I would add labor unions to that too. Um, you become more, more dependent on the goodwill and good faith of your government to protect you from all the various predators in society, right? So that's kind of the paradox of liberalism, that the more individualism there is, the less free a country becomes. Very interesting. Um, but let's move on. Okay. 
library coin from Forest Elephant. In terms of the uglification of our world, why is that when they try to diversify a piece of media, art, etc., it is is it simply just inserting black Africans and ironically not <laughs> other non-white races, Asians, mistakes, Native Americans, etc.? <laughs> yeah. Oh, so he's asking why is it always blacks? That's why he's asking. Oh yeah, because that's the ultimate like insult, I think, from their perspective. Even, I mean, you just have to listen to Maria Farmer. What did you? How did Jews talk about blacks behind the scenes, behind closed doors? Okay, right. And and so they sit down and they're like, okay, what is the most humiliating thing you could do? All right, let's portray Julius Caesar as a black guy. Like that. That's 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 actually the the motive behind that. You'll notice too that when they portray interracial couples. Uh, the most common type of interracial couple is a white man with an Asian woman. Uh, not my cup of tea, not my cup of green tea, uh, not <laughs> you know, not not something I I not something I support. I don't support <clears throat> doing that. However, that's still, and I got in trouble for saying this before. That's still on a different level than the black and white. Okay, it's it's just different. Okay, it's like it's it's like saying, okay, the the white with the Asian is like the guy who sells pot. And the black man with white woman is like the guy who's trafficking fentanyl. Okay, so they're, <laughs> they're, they're both wrong, but there's different degrees and, and pretending different, pretending that 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 a white Asian couple that produces a doctor is the same as a black white couple that produces a rapist is is simply not objective. Uh, even if both are wrong. Um, so my point is, how come TV commercials and TV shows don't ever portray that kind of relationship? Which shows you that it, it isn't just miscegenation. That's one of the things that they support, obviously. But that's not the only thing. What they want, ultimately, is to simply lower the abilities of their subject populations. Okay. Which you don't really get with the as much with the white and Asian couple. So that means that when you tune into a TV show or movie, uh, you're going to see the black man with the white woman. And which is by far the, the most viscerally offensive. I don't care how anti-racist you are or say you are. Everyone is feels disquieted when they see such a, such a couple on the street. Okay. Um, and so I think that um, there is a, a, an element of humiliation of like, look at look at what we can uh, we can do to your history, that type of thing. You know, when it comes to the portrayals of, of European history and, and furthermore, you'll notice, too, that even like Jew 1.0 stuff like Steven Spielberg movies from the 80s, they, they just remake them uh, with. A different cast of characters, usually a much inferior version just from direction and screenplay. I mean, show me one piece of woke art, whether it's a movie or TV show, forgetting racial stuff, just objectively good woke art. I mean, do you know any, Aaron? It's a good question. I can't think of anything right offhand. I mean, maybe as in it's it's kind of brilliant and how subversive and, and disgusting it is, I guess. I'll have to think about that. Yeah, I mean... Sure, there, there's going to be stuff like that, you know, but with bad values, right? 
Like I, yeah, I'm not gonna like yeah. so, sometimes like I'll, I'll I'll watch stuff on HBO that's objectively very good, but has really degenerate a really degenerate message or value or whatever, and some like WN type like some more more trad types will be like that's degenerate that's disgusting I'm like bro I'm not gonna resign myself to watching nothing but Nicolas Cage movies because you say they're wholesome. <laughs> Okay. I'm, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm not gonna sit and do that because you say they're, you know. I, I don't. I don't necessarily prioritize. Okay, here's a good example. Uh, Gaspar Noé. Gaspar Noé. Are you familiar with him, the, the French filmmaker? Uh, he's from Argentina, uh, but he's French. I, uh, I have, I've heard a name, but no, I, I don't know any of the films. Well, his films. Like his films have a, a very strongly uh, anti-multicultural and anti. Uh, sexual revolution message but the way he transmits that message is through extremely graphic portrayals of violence and sex oh okay you're talking about the the, the dude with the the gay nightclub scene is that him yes 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 me and borzoi did a pause button on his film so that, irreversible that, is that it that's yes that's one of his yeah. films yeah okay and uh his, i think his movies that you know they they portray drug use and sodomy and things like that you know i could use it with a little less of that maybe but <laughs> um you know ultimately um those movies are very artistically valuable i still can't get over the fact that irreversible there's there's that poster of the comic book that yes. has from a holo- from uh, from a holocaust a hero emerges and it's dated may 1968 i'm still yes. i'm still i'm still <laughs> from that yes. that's oh, a, the God. revolution right yeah, in France, yes. yeah. yeah. Uh, I and it's a, I, I believe it's a it's a Captain Marvel. It's a, yes, Captain, it's a Marvel. Captain it is Captain Marvel, so, yeah. What's what's he saying there? He's like, "Well, you don't like what you're seeing. Well, why did you let America win the war? And then why did you uphold it and implement it in France through May May 68?" May 68 was not a, was was communist on the surface, but the values behind it were entirely uh, projected from New York and Washington. Um, so that is my interpretation of what Gaspar Noé is talking about. And then there's that movie with the dancers that is, um, Oh, wasn't that the more recent one? I, I yes. don't know which one you're talking about. It's one where yes. they take a chemical, like take some kind of chemical and they take LSD. Yeah. They take LSD. They, the, the German girl puts LSD in the punch and the multicultural, um, the multicultural dance troupe just goes insane and there's murders and there's chaos and there's oh climax <laughs> I, I knew it had the climax. kind of sec- i had knew it had some sexual connotations climax and if if you know the the context in which this film was made this was made uh when angela merkel invited the world to europe oh wow during the refugee issue and essentially the message of the film is huh, um everyone's lost their minds and here comes the the here, here's what happens when there's no borders or rules. Um, it's this. And and at the end of it, the, the spoiler alert here is that the, the German girl put the LSD in the punch. You know, that one thing that does remind me, uh, there is one piece of um, quote unquote art by uh, that is very well done and super subversive. That's a piece that was done underneath the Eiffel Tower with the Star of David and, and all the the multicultural couples. 
It's oh, yeah, by that, the oh, is that Cle- is that uh, Cleon Cle- Peterson? Cleon Peterson. Yeah, yes. That yeah, yes. that was very well thought out. Uh, I would say he spent a lot of effort making that as subversive he, as possible. He, his artwork upsets a lot of our guys a lot, but I really, I really suggest people take a look at Cleon P- Peterson's body. Yeah, his work, just, his work's incredible. It's just yeah. super anti-white, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> but no, I mean, like it's just like it's there's. He's tapping into something, and I mean, yeah. you may not like it, but, and I, I mean, it, the subject matter <laughs> is upsetting. But that's like if you're looking for inspiration as an artist in order to subvert the uh, the paradigm, like Cleon Peterson shows you kind of a pathway to do that. Yeah, he does a good job with that. I still hate him, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, the one thing that's interesting is that what he does is um, he uses Greek. Uh, vase like Athenian vase painting. Yes, to 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 uh, kind of uh, contrast with his anti-white message, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that is what offends a lot of people. When I found out he was a, a Cranbrook artist, it explained everything for me. <laughs> What's that? What is that? Oh, uh, Cranbrook is a is a huge. It's um it's the big private school in Michigan in Bloomfield Hills. Uh, oh, really? And it's it's basically the most and, and it's an extremely important. The art academy is is extremely important, although it's not just an art academy. You, you know, in Eight Mile, when uh, Eminem's character is making fun of the uh, at the end, he's going against oh, Papa yeah. Doc. Like he brings yeah. up that Papa Doc is is <laughs> that's a, a private goes, school. Yeah, it goes to Cranbrook. <laughs> Cran- Cranbrook is a huge huge deal in in Michigan. Like you go to the campus and it's. But then you see like the kind of people that uh, you know fund it and all that, and who came out of it is like, okay, this explains everything. Yeah, yeah. Someone mentioned Noe's uh, "I Stand Alone," and uh, there's a lot in that film that is, you know, frankly, a, a, th- there's a lot of Easter eggs if you're looking for them. So there's a part, I believe, I've, I, I haven't seen it in a while, but there's a part in it where there's like a Celtic cross on the wall, like a pro-white symbol. And uh, and that's like contrasting with this French, working class Frenchman's dispossession in mm. uh, 1990s France. It's very, very interesting. <clears throat> um, so uh, let's move on. Okay. Uh, I think we're at the last one here. Uh, yeah, we did that one. Okay. So another uh, library coin from oh, Windu, uh, yeah, Windu Dindu. The Third Reich could only have been so aesthetic and orderly because Adolf Hitler was a preco- was a precocious painter with a vision. Our next revolutionary leader must have a soulful artistic sensibility opposite our current ruling class of sterile corporate psychopaths. Hail dissident artists. Couldn't agree more. Oh yeah, no. Uh... Hitler saw Germany as a canvas for expression of the German soul. And, uh, you know, using that as a kind of metaphor, um, they didn't leave anything when the war was over. They didn't leave anything untouched. They destroyed everything. They took a lot of the Arno Brecker statues, the Allies did, the British, Americans, and Soviets, they, they took Arno Brecker statues and uh, took sledgehammers to them, just like ISIS. Oh, my God. They, uh, they took a lot of books, like really uh, books about engineering and philosophy that, that were written during the Third Reich. 
uh, and uh, books about art and culture and so on. And they, they put them in a big in a big pit and burn them all. Ooh. We don't even know half of what was written during the Third Reich because the Allies burned all their books. And, of course, um, sculptures like the, the swastika eagles and stuff, um, there's only one left in the world that survived being dynamited. Uh, and that was one they found in uh, off the coast of Uruguay at the bottom of the ocean because the uh, the British and the Germans had a naval battle there, and uh, the, uh, the the Germans uh, sunk their own ship to to stop it from getting into German hands, uh, English hands, and and the Swastika Eagle was on on the ship, and so oh, wow. they found it at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. That's the only uh, surviving, like original, visible symbol of the Third Reich. So I've got to see that. So you know, again, the Allies, no different than ISIS. Yes, Graf Spee. That was the, that was the name of it. Uh, a very interesting uh, story, actually, about this naval battle um, and how they they essentially screwed the Germans over uh, in, in in under international law. To to force uh, force them to sink the Grashvi, but that's another for another day. Um, so yeah, when 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 what you were saying before, Aaron, that creating provocative art, provocative figure, uh, triggers the fury of a thousand hells in the enemy. Oh yeah, far more than any kind of uh, you know. Maybe uh, I, I I don't want to make the comparison, but you know there's a reason why they destroyed every single thing uh, related to the Third Reich, and yet in their revolution in America, they haven't really destroyed the flag or any uh, kind of superficial symbols of patriotism. Uh, and there's a reason for that. It's because mm -hmm. the well, they can evolve it. Right. You can't do that with truly timeless art, which was what the Third Reich was. Right. Okay. It was art meant to last thousands of years. And for that reason, they had to destroy every little bit of it. Jesus. So uh, let's move on. Anything else, Porzoi? Sorry, wife just came by. Uh, no, I don't know. There's, there's nothing else here. Uh, so I don't know if you wanted to do anything else or do you want to wrap it up right here? Yeah, let's wrap it up. I'm a little tired. So, uh, Aaron, uh, plug your stuff. Yeah, so uh, you can find me on Telegram at Aaron Art, and you can find my articles on Arius Press, uh, subject line Aaron Art or name. And uh, yeah, call it out for people. Arius Press, uh, A U R E U S. P R E S S. I can't believe I got that right. And uh, <laughs> um, I think me and Arius are going to start talking, uh, doing some chats about art, culture, and history. And uh, yeah. Yes. I, I've actually, I know Arius. He's a good guy. Very solid. Yes. He is. He's one and, of my uh, favorites. And uh, yeah. And he, he has a, a really excellent book about art. Um, yes, 
that I, I recommend everyone read. Um, yeah, I, I didn't actually know you wrote for, for his website. Yeah, I, I'm kind of yeah. kicking myself for not reading it. We could have discussed that. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, next time. Sure, uh, sure. Let's, uh, so, yeah, let's play this out, boys. All right, you're not going to hear it because I still got to fix my audio, but I'm playing this no out right now. No right now. Hey, thanks, uh, both of you, for the support. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Dot me slash Aaron Hart. That's what I thought. Have a good night. Everybody. Yeah. Thank you.